there anyone need an outline tonight for Revelation chapter number 4? Revelation chapter number 4. And I was planning on doing the entire chapter. But then I was reading through some of my commentaries and different things and reading through. And I really got thinking we would just stick with one verse tonight. Next week we'll do the rest of the chapter. Tonight we're going to take one verse because this verse is very important. And one of the commentaries I was reading, they, I love this illustration because it's so true. In fact, I did this this morning. Have you ever buttoned up a shirt and put the button on the wrong hole? And when you get to the bottom, there's no hole for the button that's left. And then you look in the mirror and see that your shirt's crooked like this. And some of you, Glenn, have you ever done that before? Every day. Every day. <laughs> I, I thought you were just telling Nick you never do that. I wasn't expecting you to say every day. So that's what I have to look forward to. I do it about once a week is about what I do it. But the, but the thought behind it was that if you can't get verse number one of Revelation chapter number four, it's going to mess up the rest of it as you go through. So that's why we're going to spend a little extra time on this verse tonight. And we're getting started with it at 645. Who knows? We might be done by 745, 730, 722. Who knows? We'll see when we're done tonight. And so it is always weird for me that second morning service, the first morning service, I don't have a clue how long the message will be, but after it's done, I know about how long it's going to be. So in the second service, I already kind of have a clue what, how long it'll be, but then it never is quite the same. But anyways, I don't know how that all works out. But one verse tonight, Revelation 4, verse number 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. We've spent a while now going through the seven churches. We're done with the letters to the seven churches, which were practical things for us to learn for us today, but also things that were presently going on in that day. And now we go from here to the throne room of heaven. And just to give you a brief outline of it all, chapter 4 and chapter 5 deal with heaven and what's going on in heaven. And then chapter 6 through chapter 19 and part of 20 deal with earth. And then 21 and 22 talk about the new Jerusalem and everything coming to a close. And tonight we're going to look at some thoughts here as we go through here to help us. This is a vital verse because everything changes from here. Instead of looking at what was going on in that day, it's time to look at what's going to happen someday. And some of it, as we go through over the next several months, it's going to be a long time, just so you know. It's going to be a long time until we get through the book of Revelation. Um, some of the symbolisms that are mentioned, and you say, why would so many symbolisms be used? Because you've got to understand, this is written for thousands, well, many different generations of people. And so symbolism kind of helps us all kind of get what's going on. You know, if at one point, you know, John said, there was an airplane that I just saw, or they were on TV. Because literally you can see where it talks about everyone sees what's going on. So let's just say John used our, our vocabulary. The, the, all this happened on TV. 
What would they have said 2000? What is a TV? They wouldn't have known. In fact, we wouldn't have known what television was 100 years ago. So you word it a certain way to help people of all ages understand what's being said. So there's a lot here. I will also tell you this. There are lots of people that will go through the book of Revelation and totally mess up what God was trying to teach us here. And I will be the first one to admit to you I don't know everything. And I might be wrong on some of the stuff as we go through here. And if I'm wrong, you can come tell me. And I know some of you like to do that. You can do that if you need to. But we'll, we'll be all right. We'll make it work. And we'll go through it. I am learning as I go. You're learning as you go. And I want you to understand that. Don't ever think, I, sometimes people will be like, Pastor, you're so knowledgeable with the Bible. It's good to have a pastor that knows the Bible. But you're not going to ever have a pastor that knows the whole Bible. And I am still learning every day, and I have a long ways to go. None of us will ever master this thing. There's one person who mastered it, and he wrote it, and he is the living word. So as we look here tonight, we're going to see lots of things. Hopefully it will be a help to us as we go through. I want you to understand something, too. Why study the book of Revelation? Well, the Bible tells us we should. We read that in chapter number 1. But also some people would get so caught up on all the different symbolisms and all the different meanings, they miss what the most important part is. That if Jesus is returning and this world's going to end at some point, we should be telling people and warning them about what's coming. But some people get so caught up in all these prophecies and that, they don't have time to tell anybody about Jesus. And it's good to study it, but there's a fine line and a balance between it all. And we'll see where we can get over the next several weeks. And so as we dive in tonight, did I pray yet? I don't know if I did or not. We're going to pray again, even if I did, because it's the book of Revelation, and I need extra prayer as we go through here. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have as we look at this wonderful passage in this verse. And I love the fact that we literally get to see John enter into the throne room of heaven. In all reality, it's really where we get to enter in when we come before your throne of grace. And we thank you for the fact that we can come in, not because of our own merit, but because of what Jesus did for us. Bless our time as we study this passage tonight. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one in the outline tonight, this verse makes the final transition in the book. It makes the final transition in the book. We've mentioned in the past that the book of Revelation basically has three, there's the outline has three parts to the outline of it. And you'll notice right away the first two words, after this I looked. And then the last word of the verse, hereafter. It's reminding us of the fact that literally, it's, and the, the first word after this and hereafter, it's literally the same Greek word. And uh, metatonta, something to that nature. It's only mentioned twice in the Bible, really. And the other time is in Revelation 1, verse number 19. And in that verse in Revelation 1, 19, it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So as we look at this one verse, Revelation 1, 19, we see the entire outline for the book before our eyes. We see first of all, and you got that there in your notes, number one, the things which thou hast seen. And that points to the events of chapter number one. What John was seeing of Christ that day when Christ came to him on the island of Patmos. So you're supposed to write the things which you've seen. 
That's what happened in chapter number one. Number two, we see the things which are. And that points to the events of the letters to the seven churches. Those are the things which are. Number three, which now we're diving into, the things which shall be hereafter, which describes what takes place from chapter number four through chapter number 22. And as I mentioned, if you want to write this in your notes there to keep for yourself, chapters four and five really talk about what's going to happen in heaven after the rapture takes place. Now, I know there are many people out there that are, there are some pre-tribbers, I'm a pre-tribber. There are some of those mid-tribbers and post-tribbers, and they get caught up on all that stuff. And I would, I'll explain to you tonight why I'm a pre-tribulation guy. You'll see that tonight as we talk here in just a little bit. And you might be sitting in the room and saying you're a mid-tribber or a post-tribber, and whatever you do, you do you, do you and all that. I could tell you my joke that I ask people when I go out to eat with them at a Mexican restaurant. I ask them if they're a pre-chipper a mid-chipper, or a post-chipper, when do you pray? Pre-chip, mid-chips, or post-chips before the meal comes? That's a pastor joke right there for you. You know how there's dad jokes? That's a pastor joke right there. And a few of you laughed, and the rest of you just need to get a sense of humor is what you need to do, because that was kind of funny. Anyway, so as we look here, and I'm going to talk about why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. You'll notice chapter 4 and 5 in all reality, I believe, is what's happening in heaven while the tribulation kicks off here on earth. And so we'll look at this later on and see these things. But we see that chapter 4 and 5 find the redeemed saints of God in heaven worshiping him there. And if you're a saved child of God, you will be there at this time. And you'll notice that they talk about the 4 and 20 elders. We'll talk more about this next week and not tonight. But some more symbolism, and I believe that represents saved people. And we'll, uh, we'll see next week why that is. Chapters 6 through 19 deal with the tribulation period. And with the wrath of God as he judges the sinful world and as he purifies his people Israel. And one of the reasons tonight why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is because chapter 6 through 19, God's wrath is unleashed on the earth. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but when Jesus Christ was on the cross, the wrath of God was unleashed on Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ's payment wasn't enough for my sin and God needed to give more wrath to his people, then he could do that. But if Jesus suffered the wrath of God, why should I have to suffer the wrath of God? Now that sounds bold in that statement, doesn't it? We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve hell. That's the only thing we literally do deserve. But Jesus Christ and what he did for us and he died on the cross, he took the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. And to limit what he did to believe in a mid-trib or a post-trib, I don't see it. And maybe you do, and that's fine. And if you ever want to talk about it, we can sit down and talk about it. But as we look here tonight, we see, number one, that this is the last transition. This is all future events that are going to take place. Number two, as we dive in here, we see some of the symbolisms in this verse. The symbolisms in this verse. The book of Revelation is filled with signs, symbols, and illustrations. And all throughout, Jesus is, is pictured as a lamb slain, right? That's symbolic. We, the redeemed saints, are pictured as the four and twenty elders, the twenty-four elders. 
The new Jerusalem is pictured as a bride adorned for her husband. It's symbolized. The Antichrist is called the beast in the book of Revelation there. And so there are many different symbolisms that are given throughout the book. And I want you to understand something. The use of symbolisms in no way changes what God says. It just helps us see things a little bit better all the way along is what it does. And I mentioned that a few minutes ago. But as we look at some symbolisms just in this verse, the first one that we see, first of all, is a door opened in heaven. And you say, is there literally a door opened in heaven? We'll talk about this here a little bit more in a second. John says, we look at this, and after this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And literally, that phrase literally means a door was standing open in heaven. And so, so far in the book of Revelation, there have been three doors mentioned up to this point. Does anybody remember the first door that was mentioned? I think it was the open door that the church had. So I would say the first door, and I've got some doors listed here, was the door of service and ministry that God gave. And that would be found in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now, is there literally a door that God, it's literally, a, it's symbolic. Because you understand this, if the door is open for you, it means that things can come and go, right? So they had an open door. So John saw, a, he had a space open to see what heaven was like. It's a symbolic. The second door that we've seen in the, as we've gone through here is the door of the church. And some people, a lot of my commentaries say the door of salvation, but that's not what the Laodicean, what it's talking about there in Revelation 3, verse number 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And a lot of people love to use this as a salvation verse. But this was written to the church of Laodicea. And he's knocking on the door of the church saying, if you will let me in, I will come in. Literally, the church at Laodicea cut God out of everything. Cut him out, didn't have him a part of anything, and he knocked on the door saying he would come in. They would just open the door to him. And then we see here in Revelation 4, verse number 1, we see the door of heaven. You also could look at Revelation 19, 11 where we get a glimpse back into heaven, I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And so as we look here, we see the door. He got to see, he got to be there and see what, what was taking place. We'll talk more about this here in a minute. The other symbolism that we see here, number two or letter B, is a talking trumpet. Now, this was not a trumpet. This was someone who sounded like a trumpet. Look at what it says there in verse number 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So what you understand is John was not hearing a trumpet, but the noise or the voice of a trumpet. It was loud. And you think about a trumpet sounding off. It's loud. It gets your attention. And so this voice 
that was speaking to John was loud, got attention here. And you'll notice something. Trumpets were important in the days of the Bible. Old Testament, trumpets, ancient Israel, trumpets mattered to them. And so as we think about this and we, and we see that when God in Numbers chapter number 10, you can just write down this reference and look at it later, Numbers 10 verses 1 through 10, God gives Israel instructions for the use of trumpets in Israel. They were to make two trumpets of silver, and there were different types of trumpets that they would blast for different occasions or different events. The trumpets were to be blown when it was time to break camp and to move on. Remember there was a time they blew the trumpets, they marched around the walls of Jericho. Six days, one time a day. On the seventh day they did it seven times, and they blew the trumpets, right? And so trumpets were used to sound an alarm for war or danger. They were used for victories and all sorts of things. In the New Testament, trumpets were used or talked about. And we see that as we think about the end getting closer. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. I had people a while back when Trump was president saying, is he the last Trump? No, that's not. And if you want to go down that road, you need help. Don't know. That's not what that was talking about. But we see with the Trump, the trumpet of God. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us in verse number 52, in the moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last Trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so we see some, do you see the connection there with the trumpet and the rapture? Because the dead, in Christ, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We'll talk more about the rapture here in just a minute. But as we look at these things, we see the fact that if we were to go back, if you want to put chapter 4 back up there for me, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 16. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Do you see it's with a shout? The shout that's going to take place. And with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And so as we look at these things, we see some symbolisms used. There's a door. There's a talking trumpet. And this trumpet was a voice. And we think about a shout mentioned here. There are a few times in the Bible where Jesus shouted. He spoke to Lazarus in the tomb, Lazarus, come forth! On the cross, he cried out, It is finished! Did you know when he cried out, It is finished, that literally people raised from the dead at that time? Do you see the symbolism in that as well? And how the shout of God and the dead in Christ raised. It happened when he died on the cross, symbolizing what's going to take place later on. There's so much that could be said about all of that. He shouted then, and then at the rapture, he's going to shout to get his children home. As we look here, and we see these things, we see some symbolism, we see the importance of this verse. I want to give you lastly tonight, number three, the implications that this verse has. And the implications are powerful, and I want you to see this. The first implication that we see, letter A, is the rapture. 
deliverance. John is told he's going to see things which must be hereafter, which means John is going to see future events before us. And it doesn't take long, and you'll see, just take your Bibles, you're there in Revelation 4, go to chapter 6 for a second. You're going to see that in chapter number 6, that literally things go from chapter 4 and 5 in the throne room of heaven to earth again. And it says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, the Lamb there, who's the Lamb? Jesus opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder. And you know, we could look at it, and we're going to look at it in chapter 5, but you know, in all reality, if we're, the way we were, the, the devil is really in control of the world today. I put that in quotations. He is in control. But there's only one who owns the deed. And there's only one worthy to have the deed. And he gets the deed in chapter 5. And then he opens the seals and the judgments as we go through the book of Revelation. And so as we look here at chapter 6, you see verse number 2 says, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, we're not going to dive deep into this tonight, but go to chapter 19 for a second. Chapter 19. We've got a long ways to get there. Look at verse 11 of chapter 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. Now, there's a white horse and someone on a white horse in chapter 6, and there's someone else in chapter 19 on a white horse. The one in chapter 19, it says, and he that sat upon was called faithful and true. Because what happens is, when the church is raptured out, the first thing that happens here is the Antichrist comes in to power. And that white horse, the man on the white horse coming to conquer, is not Jesus. It's the Antichrist. And it's symbolic, again, which we'll talk about when we get there. But you see at the end, the true rider on the white horse, the one who's faithful and true, Jesus comes at the end. And so... Something happens, and there's something that takes place where, as we look at this, what happens in the middle here? And you see that if we talk about, I've mentioned, I'm not a hyper-dispensationalist. And there might be some hyper-dispensationalists in the room. I don't know. And maybe you don't even know what a dispensationalist is. And if you don't, you're welcome. Stay that way. Don't go down that road unless you have to. I'm not a hyper-dispensationalist. I do believe, though, you can look at these churches and see very clearly, you can see different ages of church history through the seven churches. I think that's obvious. And I'm not one of these that goes deep down that road. But you see, and I believe the last church age would be the Laodicean church. And we looked at this two weeks ago. And the way the Laodicean church is and acts sure reminds me of the church in 2023. Thinking we have so much, and yet we are blinded to the truth. And in most churches today, Jesus isn't even welcomed into his own church. 
I think it fits the lukewarm. I think it fits very well with where it is today. And then you'll notice after the Laodicean church age and after that letter, the next thing that happens is John is taken to heaven. And he sees what is going on there. Now, as we talk about this, we see the fact, look back at verse number one, and I'm going to go a little further here tonight. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And look at what John says, and immediately I was in the Spirit. Immediately he was there in the throne room of God. Now, I want to take you back for a minute to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Now, I know some people will look at that word rapture and they'll be like, well, pastor, you call yourself a biblicist and you are a Bible, you preach the Bible. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. I know. I've known that a long time. But if we were to go back and look at these verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, Verse number, could you go back, Joe, to verse 16? It's a little bit earlier. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17. Then they which are alive, verse 17, it's coming. Then they which are alive and remain. Right? Are you, is it coming? Computer's frozen. That's, of course, what would happen. So you know what you need to do? Hold your place in Revelation 4 and take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think the Lord just wants you to see it. That's, he's just telling the computer to stop so you can see it with your own eyes. And sometimes I feel like, I do honestly, sometimes I, I love having all the scripture on the screens, but I do feel like I am helping some of us be lazy in the room and not actually look at the actual Bible in your hand. But if we're being honest, the Bible on the screen or the Bible in your hand, it is God's Word. The only thing you got to watch out for was, on Sunday, there was, in quotations under my last point, it said something, and I looked up in the Bible later on, and it did not quite say what those quotation marks said Sunday morning. And most of you probably missed it, but there was something that I don't even know, it was off just a little bit, the last point. It should have said something a little bit different than what it did, but it said it a different way. And if you got quotation marks saying it's coming from the Bible, it better be right. And I noticed it on the screen, so I fixed it um, in my own head and in my notes if I ever preach that again. So, look there at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse... Go back up to verse 13. Let's just go there. I think it's good there. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, those that have passed on before us. Verse 16. For the Lord, or verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 
When I talk about the rapture, the coming, the day of the coming, the coming of the Lord, I don't believe the rapture and his second coming are two separate events. They are one event spread out over time. Because you will notice that the day, the day of the Lord or his coming, we think about, first of all, he doesn't step foot on earth at the rapture. We meet him in the air. He comes and literally steps foot on the earth in Revelation chapter 19 at the battle of Armageddon to complete the day of the Lord. My belief is that the day of the Lord includes the rapture, and then it will conclude when he steps foot here on earth at the battle of Armageddon. When we talk about the rapture, let's put a few things in perspective here real quick, and I'm not going to be long, but these are things that are good for us to understand and to know. And you might say, well, I disagree with you. That's fine. You're not the one preaching, and you are in a pre-tribulational church tonight, just so you know. I don't know if you figured that one out. It is. It's kind of in our stuff. And uh, anyway, so where do our loved ones go today when they die? They're with God. That's what the Bible says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, if we want to be honest, scripturally speaking, like a lot of people say, they're in heaven with God. They're with God if they're saved. Their bodies are in the ground. They don't have their glorified body yet because the rapture has not taken place. Now, just hold on for a second. Those that die without Jesus Christ, their bodies are in the ground and their souls are in hell. That's Bible. And I could take a lot of time and show you all of that. So the next event that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. When that happens, who knows when that's going to happen? Only the Lord knows. And when that time comes, God's going to call his children home. What happens when that happens? Those that have died, those that have slept, those that are asleep, what is going to happen is their spirit that is with God, their soul that's with God, their body is going to meet it, and they're going to get their glorified body at that time. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up. That's the, where the Latin word rapture comes from, the caught up. It's a Latin word. Just like technically in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 14, where it talks about Lucifer, that's a Latin word as well. And so there are times where Latin words are used, but that's where we get the word rapture from the caught up right there. So one way or another, you can find the word caught up. So we're caught up, we meet the Lord in the air, and, what, and then we are forever, we are ever with the Lord. So when he comes for his millennial reign, we're with the Lord. When we spend eternity with him, we're with the Lord. So the rapture takes place before the tribulation happens. And you say, well, why is that? Why should we not suffer? Or you could be like people that don't know the Bible very well and say, well, study Matthew 24 and 25. That's a great passage to study. But if you're going to study the Bible, I want to encourage you that when you study it, you do it in context with what the Bible says. The book of Matthew was written to the Jews. And I don't know if you realize something. 
when we could go back to the book of Daniel. And there's a lot. I'm not going to, I know that I'm probably, some of you, your heads are just spinning like this. Just relax, okay? The book of Daniel gives the timeline for things. And it basically says that when the Jews cut off their Messiah in Daniel chapter number 9, God says, I'm done with you for now. The church never replaces the Jews, like some people say. Basically what happens is God takes the Jews and says, here, you're going to sit over here for a little bit, and I'm going to work through the church. But when, during the tribulation time, what happens is the church is called out. And God works through the Jews. And we will look as we go through here, there are 144,000 of them. Not the Jehovah Witnesses like they think. It's not them. That's not, but in all reality, they are Jehovah's Witnesses. That is true in that statement because they are witnessing about Jesus and about God. But the ones that claim to be that 144,000 today, no, no, no. That's not quite the way. But there'll be 12,000 out of every tribe that turn the world upside down with the gospel. And God will work through the Jews. And the Jews, this is the thing. If the church replaces the Jews, then part of the promises that God made to Abraham and to his seed, then God's a liar. God has to work through the Jews again to fulfill all of his commitments to them. And I don't know if you realize this, but everything God says he will do, he does. He knows what he's doing. And so, as we think about this fact, and why we believe, why we believe, let me just give you a few last thoughts why I believe that the church will be out of here before the tribulation. Because you've got to understand a few things. I'm going to have you look at a few verses. Some of you, this might be good for you. Some of you, it might not be. I wasn't planning on going this far into it, but I thought, hey, the computer froze on us. Let's just go a little deeper into it. And so this is not even really, this wasn't planned for tonight. And so, yeah, 730 is coming quickly. But anyways, just a few quick little thoughts about the rapture and things and why I believe that the church is called out before that. Because, number one, our salvation delivered us from wrath. Do you realize that tonight? And we could look, 1 Thessalonians, there's a few verses there that we could look at. And I know some people are like, well, why is it fair? Why don't we suffer? Why don't we have to go through things? It doesn't mean that the road before the church is raptured out is going to be easy. Has it been easy for the church for 2,000 years? Yeah, we have peace right now. But I, you just look around. That peace is quickly falling apart. And the persecution is coming sooner than you think. It's going to be here before you know it. Just look around. Open up your eyes and you'll see it. Does the Bible tell us to watch out for the horrors of the tribulation, what's coming, or does it tell us to look for that blessed hope? And that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed hope, it says, right? We could look over and over again in the Bible. Do you know Methuselah was Enoch's son, right? I think that's right. Is that right? Wasn't Methuselah Enoch's son? I'm almost sure. And if I'm wrong, you can tell me I'm wrong later. But none of you even know right now. I believe that Methuselah was Enoch's son. Methuselah, if you add up all the years of his life, he died the same year the flood happened. 
Did he die in the flood or did he not die in the flood? I do not know because it doesn't tell us. But all I do, the 967 years that he lived, you add those up and all that time in there, literally when the flood started, that's the year that he died. So where you want to go with that, I don't know. But do you realize that his dad, Enoch, was taken out before the judgment came? Symbolic of the rapture before the wrath of God. There are other examples before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. God sent his angels to get Lot and his family out before the judgment of God came, which symbolizes the church being taken out before the tribulation time happens. Do you see the symbols there? You can see it. There are things, and we can see that. Um, Another proof is the fact that, um, let's see. Now the problem is, can I remember which verse this is? Go back to Revelation chapter number 3 with me. And like I said, I'm, I'm adding this in right now. But last thing we see, if you look at verse number um, 22 of chapter number 3, go back there. And look at verse, so look at verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now go to chapter 13. I think it's 13. Hopefully 13 is not a long chapter, and we can see this here. Chapter 13. (laughs) What verse am I looking for? Look at verse number 9. This is during the tribulation time. Look at verse number 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. There are two things that are missing from what the rest of the time is mentioned in the book of Revelation. The Spirit and the church. See that right there? It's another example. And so that's why I believe the church will not be here in the tribulation. The main reason is because Jesus endured the wrath of God. And if you want to feel differently, you can figure that out. And like I had someone a while back that was so dogmatic about it. And they're like, we're, it's post-tribulation. I said, this is what will happen. When we get to heaven in the rapture, you can find me in heaven. And you don't even have to tell me that I was right. It's okay. We'll be with the Lord. I'm not going to worry about it. If we're here in the post-tribulation, I'll find you and tell you you were right. And so, but I don't think that's going to be the case. But whatever, whatever with that. But what we see, the fact is, back at our text, we see deliverance, and we see that happen in the rapture. And we see a great symbol of that as John is taken immediately up. And then lastly, the last thing that we see is a new home. Not only are we going to be escaping wrath, and not because of anything what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us, we get a new home, heaven. Thank God for heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, So shall we ever be with the Lord. And what a day that's going to be. I think the writer of that song, What a Day That Will Be, did such an awesome job with those words and lyrics of that song. To ever be with the Lord, what an awesome day that's going to be. And what heaven's going to be like. And Jesus promised, didn't he promise heaven? He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. When we arrive, and next week we'll look deeper into the throne of heaven. I can't even fathom what it's going to be like to open up my eyes to be with Jesus. The one that I've read about all these years, the one that I can't wait, I can't wait for that day. But when we think about heaven, the Bible talks about what heaven's going to be like. Revelation 21, verse 4 says, And God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Hey, Russ, you read that right there? There's going to be no more pain. For the former things are passed away. The Bible tells us in verse number 8 of that same chapter, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's why the Bible says, Blessed is he who doesn't have part in that second death. We might have to die once or be taken up in the rapture, but you don't want to be a part of that second death. And then Revelation 21, verse 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. I had someone ask me a while back, they're like, you know, Satan was with God in heaven, and he literally sinned in heaven. One thing I want you to realize when you get to chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, there's a new Jerusalem coming down. No one's going to be able to rebel in heaven at that time. It's new. There will be, Satan will not be there. No one with it, it's a different place. Same place with God, but different. And there's more we could talk about that. But heaven's going to be a perfect place. And what day that's going to be. And John, I, I just, I think about for him being able to, being banished to the island of Patmos and literally left there to die and waste away. And he gets to enter in, he gets to see the throne room of heaven and talk about it for all of us. I think Paul mentions he went up to the third heaven, but he doesn't tell us anything that happened there. That's why when you read people in their books about how they went up to heaven, they're just trying to make money, most of them, because it doesn't match the, what the Bible says. Now, are, are any of them genuine or not? I don't know, because I don't know what they really experienced or not. I just know what the Bible tells us. And what a day it's going to be when we get to be with the Lord, we get to be home with him. And so next week, we'll see what the throne room of heaven looked like. Why are there colors mentioned? You know, there are stones that are mentioned. You'll see that. There's a rainbow round about the throne. Not the type of rainbows people are putting around today, but, you know, we'll talk more about that as well. And what the Bible says, and we'll see how those beasts are around the throne room of God, and how the four and twenty elders are casting their throne, their, their crowns before the throne of God. And we'll see how, what all that means next week. Father,